Thank you, Mark. Um, Mark actually just got away with something, and you guys totally missed it. Uh, he's Dutch. He cracked a joke, and none of you laughed. Um, the reason that he was not called up last week is he so graciously uh, serves on the first Sunday of the month at a church that we support in Cartersville, Riverside Community Church, and he serves uh, communion there, and he and his daughters play music there, and it's a huge blessing to Jody, uh, allowing them to be able to continue the, the ministry that they're doing, and that church is growing slowly, but sure, that's hard ground up there, and Jody's doing good work, as well as the people who are part of that core group, so that's why he was not up here, um, and so, uh, but you guys totally missed it. You got you to gotta watch for the subtleties with the Dutch, I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you. Uh, this morning, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12, so if you have a Bible, go ahead and be turning there. If you have a phone, go ahead and be flipping there. If you have an abacus, I, I don't know what to do for you, um, but uh, we're going to be in Romans 12, 9 through 21. This is a standalone sermon uh, in between uh, our, our series on Hosea, and we have a series coming up on Colossians. We do have a devotional for that. For those of you who have experience with the devotionals, uh, they, it starts tomorrow. And so if you want to be able to prepare for the sermon and be, a, be really engaged in that Colossian series, I encourage you. We have a few physical copies um, out on the connection table, or you can download it from our website. You should have received that. I, I want to encourage you to use it. Um, it's not, I, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, if it's anything like how you challenge us, I, I don't want to open it. Um, it's actually gentler than that, and it's, it's, it's fairly simple. It's not intended to take a long time each day. It would take probably five or ten minutes. The most important aspect of it is the days of prayer. So every Wednesday, we pray for the missionaries that we support through Faith Promise, and we'll be praying for the ones that we'll be praying for on Sunday morning, so this is just trying to connect some things in. And then on Saturdays, we'll be praying for various groups within the church, which I think is a critical thing to do, um, and, uh, and especially as they'll be going on retreat. So we'll be praying for the women right before they go on the women's retreat. We'll be praying for the youth before they go on the youth retreat, uh, and a couple of other things as well. So um, be sure to grab that. Be sure to make use of that, and I, I do think it'll be a blessing to you. Um, this morning, the reason we're doing a, a one-off, I think it's a good thing sometimes to be able to get to some things that I think would be helpful for our church in between sermon series. Um, you may say, is topical reformed? Is that even possible? It, it's going to be exegetical. We'll go verse by verse. Um, and Jesus was topical, so yeah, um, there's that. Uh, and so, uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll take care of that this morning. And the reason we're looking at this is because I think love and hospitality is, is an area that for our church, we, we have a great desire to grow in that from the leadership perspective. We want to see our church turn the corner in terms of becoming more and more hospitable. Um, and becoming more and more loving toward each other. And so you guys have grown uh, in that, and, and, and it's, been, it's been incredible to see. I think the small groups are experiencing that. I think some of the men's and women's discipleship groups are experiencing that. And so um, um, I want to say thank you for what you've done so far, uh, and we've, we've still got a little ways to go. So my hope is that this will be a sermon that will be beneficial to us in a very practical sense. It is tough to drop in in the middle of Romans. Um, there was a, somebody who used to go here one time. I think Matt, did you preach on Romans one time? Or Robbie, a, a standalone on a Romans passage? Uh, anyway, this person came up and said, that's, that's just almost blasphemy, that you would try to just drop it in the middle of Romans without all that comes before. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to catch you up to chapter 12. 
For those of you who are thinking we're not getting out of here till 2.30, it's going to be quick, all right? And so, uh, so I'll do what I can to get us caught up. If you've never studied the book of Romans, can I encourage you at some point in your Christian life, you need to do uh, a, just a trench level dirt, I mean, get down in the dirt of, of Romans. It is, and, uh, and I think I, I have the authority to say this, I think it's one of the finest pieces of literature ever written in the world. Regardless of whether or not you even believe in the Bible, if, if you just look at it from a rhetorical, literary perspective, it is an incredibly finely crafted piece of art. And it's amazing. Um, so, I want to encourage you in that. So, what's going on in Romans? Real quick, Paul's dealing with a particular issue for which love and hospitality are so important. It was a church that was founded by Jewish Christians. In fact, Paul didn't found it. Um, in fact, he longed to go there and don't know that he ever got there. But these Jewish Christians founded the church. They had the Lord bless their ministry. A number of Gentiles converted and began to come into the church. There was a political situation where the Jews were kicked out of Rome after a census. And so the, the young Gentile Christians take over the Roman church, right? And so then in God's sovereignty... Political winds change. That happens, I guess, somewhere. And so the political winds change, and, and back come the Jews. And they, when they come back, they say, okay, we'll take our church back, and we'll take all our leadership positions back. And the Gentiles say, well, wait a second. God kicked you out once. So there's an immediate rift between the people of God, right? And so Paul is writing this letter to seek to heal that rift. And so he takes chapters 1 through 8 to just lay a very firm theological foundation as to their identity and union with Christ. He makes it very clear. There is nothing about you that warrants the gospel. Neither one of you. Gentiles, here's your problem. Jews, here's your problem. And in fact, let me just get everybody. Romans 3, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Right? And then he says it's by faith alone, through grace alone, and Christ alone, basically, through 8. And then in 9 through 12, he shifts to talk to each of those groups kind of individually and, and really press up against them, right? And then 12 begins the practical outworkings of what all that means. And so at the beginning of 12, you may know verses 1 and 2 talk about being a living sacrifice. And then uh, verses 3 through 8, he talks about that we would esteem others as greater than ourselves. Now, let me ask you, how many relational problems could we solve with that one idea? that we would esteem others as greater than ourselves. And let me say this, lest you say, I'm not, I'm not fixing to be a pushover. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Nobody running over me. They're doing it all the time, by the way, but okay. Uh, you're just not, you're oblivious to it, and that's fine. But, but, this is not talking about a cheap grace. This is not talking about cheap love. This is not talking about a giving up uh, without really thinking it through and cultivating something deeper. No, this is very well-intentioned, very well-cultivated, very well-thought-through, right? And so the, don't hear me say, be a pushover, let anybody do what they want to do, because actually to love somebody is to sometimes say, parents, get ready. Please write this down. No. Right? No. Um, and not, not no right now, but no period, and don't ask me again. All right? And so, so that's okay. It's okay to tell your child no. Um, and, so, and that's love sometimes. It's okay for us to tell each other no. No. You guys do it with me all the time. You're good at it. I won't tell you. Thank you. You're actually living this out with me on some things. And so, so that's, a, that's a beautiful thing. So I'm not talking about anything cheap here. 
So let's, let's be careful. Let's, uh, that caveat aside. So let us step into this text. And some of you in your Bible, if it has a heading, and you'll notice I dropped one word, and, and I want you to know it was one of the few times I was being gentle. Uh, and the word that I dropped was true. So it says in your Bible, it may have the heading, Mark of a True Christian. Well, I think that's to say the same thing twice. It's just a mark of a Christian. I don't think there's such a thing as a false Christian. I don't think the word Christian can be abused and used for something else. I really don't. We try, but I don't think it can be used for anything else. So just the marks of a Christian in general are love and hospitality. This is what Paul's going to unpack. And so what he's going to do is kind of in two sections. It's It's not laser clean, right? You could look at some verses in one section and say, well, that could apply to the church or that could apply to the world. But I think it'll be helpful for us to look at it in those two ways, that within the church and then within the world, because those are two places where we have relationships, right? We should seek to do good to the household of faith. Is that in the Bible somewhere? Yes, Galatians 6, right? Um, Peter tells us to do the same thing. So I don't want you to ever, I know we talk a lot about being missional and loving our neighbors. Don't ever see that as an antithesis to loving here, because here's the truth. If you are successful at loving your neighbors well, and they come to this church and find an unloving, disinterested um, group of people who don't like each other very much, guess where they're not coming back? Here. They may still come to your barbecue, which is awesome, uh, but they're not coming back here. So we can't see it as an either-or. It is definitively a both-and, and according to the Bible, the priority is that we, we would love each other and be hospitable to each other first. And then from that platform, do that in the world. Got it? Everybody caught up? All right, there ends the introduction. Let's turn to the text and look at verses 9 through 13. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. So um, this is under the heading of introduction, but I think it fits better after having read that. Let me ask you this, because I think it's an important question. Uh, Who do you pay attention to? We all pay attention to other people in some form or fashion, but who do you pay attention to? And the better question is, uh, why? Why do you pay attention to them? Is it because they bear God's image and are worthy, as C.S. Lewis would say, you have never not met a supernatural being. You've never not met someone who is uh, resplendent with the glory of God. Or do we only pay attention to those who can help our cause? who are beneficial to us, right? And again, you could say, well, Cameron, there's only so many minutes and hours in the day. I mean, shouldn't we be strategic? What a great word. Um, Yeah, you should be strategic. Strategic according to the image of the glory of God. Not strategic according to your glory and your image twisting. And so, so Christine Pohl, who wrote a great book on hospitality, I commend it to you. Um, She looks at it from a historical perspective. She says, giving a stranger full attention communicates that he or she is interesting and worthwhile. We pay attention to the people we value. 
had an experience last night <coughs> at a restaurant called Vincent's. I don't know if you've been there. They have a mean uh, um, meatball spaghetti. Get the third meatball, trust me. All right, so the young man who was waiting on us, he'd been there for two months. His name's Colin. <coughs> and Colin, I, I've... I've I'd, I've done waiting. My mother was a waitress. I know excellent wait staff. And Colin's just green. He's new, and he meant, he meant really well. And he didn't get everything right, and he was a little nervous. But there was a moment where a friend of ours who was with us said to him something very complimentary, and I watched this young man's posture change. He was kind of, it was toward the end of the night, you know, and we hadn't been hard on him, by the way. <coughs> Forgive me, I'm battling tuberculosis or something up here. But she said to him something very complimentary, and, he, and, and I don't know if it was noticeable because it was as he was about to walk off, but all of a sudden he was up, and his posture was good, and he, he walked a little bit lighter, right? What an amazing thing. What happened? She took notice of him and said, son, you're of value. Now, knowing this person, she could have handed him, and she would never do this, by the way, she could have handed him a list of everything he did wrong. And she could have done it under the auspice, I'm just trying to help you get better, kid. Right? Two months in, you know, you didn't peel the whole wine thing. You, you just, you, you know, you, you had your finger in my glass. <coughs> Which, by the way, I ate at Ryan's. That don't bother me. Um, and so, so she could have. She could have. And what do you think he would have done? What do you think his posture would have been receiving that information? Which could have been helpful to him. Right? It's an amazing thing that when we, when we bestow value on anyone, one, one way to do this, especially with the children of this church, know their names. Know their names. And not just hit them with the, hey there, cowboy, what's going on there, sheriff? Hey there, wild Indian. Uh, <laughs> you know, actually learn their names. Know what grade they're in. Uh, know what they're interested in. They're hilarious. Robbie someday is going to write a memoir about his time in threes and fours. And let me just tell you something. You need to go ahead and get an advanced copy because it's going to sell like hotcakes. It's going to be brilliant. He told a story, and I'll, I'll redact the names to protect the parents. <laughs> <coughs> but two different occasions, a young lady cried, which is so rare in threes and fours if you serve in there. This young lady broke down crying, and uh, she received two different responses in those two different occasions. Thank you very much. Oh, you may have picked up on the mic. Um, she, she, she's crying. The first time, one young man says, you may not be a Christian. Because <laughs> you're crying. <coughs> Another occasion, and this may be my favorite, and I may use this someday. He goes, and I just love the fact that he, he said what he said, the way he said it. He goes, excuse me, have you tried being happy? That's great advice, kid. <laughs> you may be a motivational speaker someday. Um, and so, <coughs> but, you know, it's, it's funny because Robbie, uh, who does an awful lot around here, he plays drums, he works in threes and fours, he oversees small groups, he's the first person you meet if you want to do membership. He does a lot. <coughs> Excuse me. And, uh, and, um, and, and so I asked him, he had been there for a year, okay, and, and, and his, his term was up. That's just kind of a requirement. If you serve with us, if you're going to be an intern, you're going to serve in children's ministry. If you can't love the next generation, I, I don't know what to do with you. But, so I came to him. I said, all right, Robbie, your year's up, brother. Uh, I'm going to set you free. And you know what Robbie said? 
He may be a saint. He might actually be a Christian. He said, he said, uh, he said no, I love those kids. I've come to love them. Uh, and he loves Diane Lowe as well, um, who he serves with. And what a gift that a young man who easily, because I'll tell you, the first Sunday he came out, he looked like he had instantaneous PTSD. He just looked <laughs> shell-shocked. And he stood by, he was standing beside me. He was looking ahead in the distance. He breathed. I said, Robbie, you okay? He's like, yeah, I'm going home. <laughs> so, um, but what a gift that he's learned their names. You talk about hospitality. You talk about loving genuinely. Because there is, there is no glory in serving in threes and fours some Sundays. It just isn't. It's just hard. Um, and so for him to continue to do that, kudos to him. And, and what a blessing to our church that somebody wants to, he wants to stay stable in that. Now, for those of you who've given up, don't think I just hit you with it because I'd, I'd have quit at the six-month mark. I'd have found another job. Um, but he, he's decided to stay in that. And so um, what a gift. So I just want to say, make sure that these things that we talk about, let's not forget our children. Let's not forget um, th- those among us uh, who are running around at this kind of low level. Um, you could easily miss them. Um, but, but make sure you acknowledge them. And let's love them too as a church. Uh, love them well. Um, so uh, let love be genuine. So some of your versions may say, let love be without hypocrisy. That just means, and you may be thinking, how do you let love be genuine? How do you not just fake it? I mean, are we talking about, we're not talking about anything fake. We're talking about something hard, actually, to love people genuinely. And so that has to be cultivated. That has to be prayed for. That has to be sought after. That has to be discipled unto. That has to be, I mean, that is something that is so, we need to focus on. And remember what Jesus said. In John 15. And I love that, that God keeps just trying to make it simple for us, and we keep wanting to add stuff to it. And, and so Jesus, in John 15, after he's washed their feet and he's going to the cross, and here in just a bit, he's like, look, if I had to boil it down for you guys, love one another. That's how the world's going to know who you are. Francis Schaeffer, in the book, The Mark of the Christian, thinks that that is, or, or would say that that's, uh, uh, and don't get too excited about what I'm about to say theologically, but he says he says that that's, he, basically Christ gave the world the opportunity to decide who we are. Now, they don't get to decide who we are in, in the grand scheme of things, but they can tell a real Christian. They can. Uh, and remember, they can just tell a Christian. There's no such thing as a real Christian or a true Christian. There just is a Christian. And so I, I wish like crazy that our first concern was to pause in any given relational situation or conflict and pause and go, how's this going to reflect on Jesus? How's this going to reflect on, how's this going to reflect in the world? How's this going to affect the glory of God? Instead of setting our jaw like flint and saying, I have every right to light this person up. I have every right to say anything I want to say to them because they have violated me and my kingdom. And I wish, wish like crazy that as churches, this was, this was so much a part of our DNA that it was just an, it was just an automatic reaction. It's just not going to be. We've got to cultivate it. We've got to think about it. We've got to, we, we, it's something we have to continue to massage into who we are. So straight away, let love be genuine. Um, and so that's something we have to, have to pray for the Spirit to give us. The next thing, it says, abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. <coughs> um, I think this, this uh, is a, at least in the top five misunderstood verses or phrases in the Bible. 
Uh, and Flannery O'Connor is actually helpful on this. Uh, she wrote an essay in The American in 1957 called The Church and the Fiction Writer. And in that she says, part of what we need is not so much even better writers, we need better readers. And the first thing that we need from Christian readers is that they would not only be concerned with the obscene, right? And so for, for some of you, um, and I will not mention the show's name because it's just got you all so excited, it's all you're thinking about, but there's a show that's been mentioned in the last few sermons that your only question is, is he really watching that show? Because there's some obscenity in that thing. Um, do you watch The West Wing? I'm just going to take a drink for a second. What do you think about that? Have you ever watched The West Wing? No nudity, no gross violence. And, and for many of you who have watched it, you, it's incredible. You think it's incredible. And it is shaping your political ideas. It is shaping how you deal with your neighbors. It is shaping how you deal with work. And you hadn't even thought about it. But you think because there's no obscenity, you don't really have to think about it as much. This is Flannery's point. You've got to learn how to see. And if that is the application of this verse, that you are to avoid obscenity at all costs, um, so here's what you're going to have to do. Take your Bible and rip out a chapter called the Dinah Incident. You know what the Dinah Incident is? It's where the priest's concubine is brutalized all night long, and then he takes and cuts her up into pieces, and he sends her to the 12 tribes, and it starts a war uh, within the people of, of God. Um, I think Dan's the tribe that they turn against. Oh, and by the way, you're going to have to rip out another chapter that I think, God, it would, just, it would hurt you so much to rip it out. Um, in 2 Samuel, I think it's 2 Samuel 15, the story of Amnon and Tamar, um, it starts a war and rends the kingdom in half, and it begins with a sexual transgression. And it's got one of the most honest and beautiful truths in all the Bible that, that in this sexuality conversation that we have, that, that your kids need to learn. But if you don't let them see that because it's, you got to abhor what's evil, you got to avoid all manner of obscenity, you can't read it. You can't get it to them, right? And so sometimes, and this is Flannery's argument, and it's mine too. Uh, I'm just riffing off of her a little bit. And you may say, but isn't she Catholic? We were too at one time, by the way. Um, and so uh, that's part of the Reformation, just so you know. Uh, and so um, she, her argument is, is that if you can see the world through redemptive eyes, that it, it is when you come upon the things that are obscene, you'll actually see them for the obscenity that they are. And it will grieve you. And you'll be able to see it clear. Now, let me just tell you what I didn't say, all right? Because there's a whole, you have questions floating around. Did he just say we can watch pornography? No, I did not. And that is, that is not, some things are so overt. And, and actually, bad stories. Um, yet another Catholic, Walker Percy, has a great statement. He says, bad books, bad stories lie. They just do. They don't tell the whole truth. So I would rather you be so discerning that even if it's a Christian romance, we were talking about this this morning, a Christian romance novel with some sultry Quaker girl on the front uh, sold at Lifeway or somewhere, that you would, you would recognize even that may not be good. Even that may not be worth your time. Um, and, and even though it contains no overt obscenity, I think it does in terms of its presentation, but it contains no overt obscenity. So, so please hear me, when it says abhor what is evil, part of abhorring what is evil is being able to recognize where it is. 
and being able to engage and turn back because here's the, here's the communication if we're not careful that we can make. We can say to people who really desperately need the church, meaning they're depressed, they're suicidal, they're broken, they're messy, they have had an abortion. Which, by the way, I don't know if you know this or not, but the statistics show that of, of all abortions, between 40 and 50% uh, are uh, women who are connected to a church in some way. You, you are, uh, in, in, by statistics, sitting in a room where somebody has had an abortion at some point in their lives. And what, what they have found through the post-abortion counseling is there is not a woman who is not affected by that deeply. And they need it desperately. One of the beautiful things that First Care Women's Clinic does, nailed it, uh, is they do the post-abortion counseling, and it is unreal. Uh, I was invited to a very sacred event in which these women talked about this. And it, you couldn't pick them out in the lineup, I'm telling you. No way. They don't look like what you think they look like. They look like you. They look, well, not me, but you who are women. And so, and the men need it too, and they do try that, but not as many are willing to take it. So, uh, my point is, if we say we, we cannot have any messiness, we cannot have any obscenity, we cannot have any of that in our midst. We have to abhor what is evil, meaning avoid it like the plague. What did you just say to the person who is trying to come out from under so much? Leave. We don't talk about those things here. Some of you I know are very uncomfortable at times with the razor's edge that I dance along with the things I share and open up on. Well, first of all, like I've said, I ain't told you one hundredth of it, and it's way worse than what I hadn't said, which makes your imagination spin a bit. But one of the reasons that I do that is for those people, because they need to know that they're in a place where we can halfway, one-tenth of the way, understand in some measure what in the world it is that they are going through. And for those of you who would rather not hear it, you're going to remain a Christian whoever's up here, probably. But for them, for them, I want to make sure that they know if they choose to, if they invite us into that sacred space, we are willing to step into it. Amen? So in abhorring what is evil, that means that we actually hate it so much we want to do something about it. And to do something about it, you've got to get near it, which is why you've got to also cling to what is good. Don't let it go, right? So as a church, we want to be a church who definitely, it's very clear, we do. We don't, I don't want to make light of any, anything and am and, and, and genuinely grieved by what is evil. Um, I am. I, I don't see it as entertainment uh, and, 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 and very, try to be very discerning about some of the things I expose myself to, how my wife is involved and other people are involved. I get it. There's things you could be critical of that I read that are classics. We read Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy, probably one of the most violent books I've ever read in my life. Even, rarely in a book do I want to turn away because it's not even visual. And yet, what did it make me long for? kingdom to come, because that is exactly who we are without the restraining hand of the gospel. We are worse, actually, than Cormac McCarthy can dream up. We're reading the power and the glory. It's got one of the best scenes of understanding the gospel ever. It just is beautiful. I wept the first time I read it, um, and, and, and it's, a t it's a tough story. It's a, it's a tough story. Um, and so, so 
I just, I want to make a, a plea. I'm not trying to, you can, st- by the way, you can critique anything I say or do. You can, you can even push it. Please come up and say, dude, is it healthy for you to listen to gangster rap? Which I don't, by the way. We've, we've, I've dealt with that. I've repented. Uh, but, but is it healthy for you to do that? But stand there long enough for me to say the same back to you. Okay? And let's love each other well in doing that. Because we do. We need to ask those questions. And maybe what I can do, you can't do. And maybe what you can do, I can't do. Um, and there are people who are just really gifted at being able to look at things. I think Zach Schaefer is a very gifted individual in being able to watch a movie in particular um, and, and read and be very discerning and pick out like a quote or something like that that most people miss. Um, and, and maybe you're not gifted like that. Maybe it's not good for you to do something like that. But there are people that God, God gifts that way. But we have to be accountable. So I, I don't want you to ever think I ju- what I just did has kept you from being able to critique anything. By all means, please, love me well. Don't let me sink. Don't let me get sideways if you see my heart going dark. Amen? I'll try to do the same for you. Next phrase up. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Think about a church that did that. Now you may think, well, how would anybody get in here? Because we're out front and we're like, no, no, you first. No, 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 you first. No, you first. Last shall be first. First shall be last. What What just happened? Yeah, we're not talking about that kind of stuff. But how in the world, and notice the phrase outdo one another with honor comes after love each other with brotherly affection. You've got to know each other well enough to serve each other. And what, what each of us needs um, I mean, you're, you're, you're not, know this, you're not sitting next to anybody who doesn't need prayer. You are not sitting next to anybody who has not suffered at some point this past week. You're just not. You're sitting in a room full of people who, who, who need, need community and they need the gospel. Otherwise, what are you, what are you doing here? Um, again, you may be waiting for the slow car crash up here, um, uh, but I don't think it's worth that. Um, but, but why are you here? If not, that is your longing, that you would gather together with a group of people on a Sunday morning and listen to a monologue that could end who knows when uh, and, and do this thing week in and week out. And how, how would it look if, if Christ Community Church had the heart not, not, the, not the keeping track and keeping score of outdoing one another. But that our genuine desires, we come in here, is that it, it's not about us. You know, sometimes as you talk about church, pay attention to the pronouns you use. If I is one of the pronouns, that's a lot of the pronoun usage, I, I don't know. You may want to think about that. I'm not getting in the family. I'm offended by that. I don't like when he does that. I don't like that song. I, 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 I. Okay. Then it's about you, I guess, using another pronoun. And so, so I, I want us to be a people. I long for us to be a people who um, we love one another with just, just that familial affection, right? And that, that we're just outdoing each other, showing honor. And let me tell you a couple of places you can do that. Um, Whitney Byerly is in this service. I see her. Now, there was a stretch when Whitney was in worship 10 times in two years. How's your heart do when you're not in worship but 10 times in two years? Serving, being critiqued, um, never feeling like you can catch up, always feeling like 
I mean, that's a, that, is a, that is a dry well. It was not her fault entirely. Now, she's up to about, uh, about two times a month now, I think, which is good, right? But it ain't, it ain't great. So how, how can we love Whitney? How can we love the children of our church? Well, volunteer. If you're called to do that, by the way, don't feel guilty. I don't want any guilty person trying to love kids because that just ends poorly and they end up not being Christians, I think, or something. So I, I don't want that. Uh, if, you, if you can genuinely love them and you have a gift and a calling to that, we would love, to, love for you to participate in that. But, but one, you got to be a member to serve on the teaching side. You just do. It's just wise on our part. Um, you don't necessarily have to be a member, but you ha- on the other side, infants and toddlers, but you do have to pass a background check first. You have to pass a background check on both sides. Uh, and so, so let, let, and, and the same thing for Emily Schelling, who serves on the infants and toddlers side. Um, you know, and, and the other way you can serve well is if you volunteered, uh, show up for, on time uh, and, and, and have some zeal about it. Let's outdo one another in honor. Let's, let's take seriously the things we've called to. There's somebody else you can serve too. Jack Lane is one of the hardest working people you will ever meet in your life. And uh, he's on setup, which, by the way, these chairs, I know it's hard to believe, being that we serve a supernatural God, but these chairs don't magically appear. And they don't magically go away either, like you do at the end of the service. And so, uh, so it would be a great help if we had some people who said, you know what, it ain't, it's, not, it's not in any way, shape, or form going to you know, uh, draw notice specifically, but to, to be on the setup team. Now, here's what it requires. you got to get up early on Sunday, once a month, and go get a truck and come here and set all this stuff up, right, and unload it. I get it. Not a tr- I didn't make it attractive at all, did I? However, we can't do this, and we're not loving Jack well if we burn him all the way out, which you may say, why would it burn you out? Do I have to get up at 7? For the same reason, you're not going to do it in the first place right? And so we need some help, right? And it's a great way that you can serve and love somebody behind the scenes who's doing great things. Um, and so, so that's one way we could love each other with brotherly affection and outdo one another in honor. Um, and then it goes on to say, um, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. I think that fits well with what we just talked about. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. So the rejoicing in hope means that, that we as a community know what's going on with each other, that we can rejoice in hope when good things are going on, um, and that we, we recognize that there are things that we ought to be able to rejoice with each other about, and when there's tribulation, we're there too. What sacred space is suffering and tribulation, to be able to be in that space and not sound like Job's friends, right, and not come in with simple math and silly answers to very complex questions to which the answer is presence, not verbiage. And so that takes being constant in prayer. That's, that's tough stuff, it, it, right? I mean, sometimes it's hard. Um, we had an experience at a church uh, where a, a whole host of women uh, got, got pregnant in, in around about the same time, and there was one uh, woman who was struggling with infertility. And each uh, baby shower was more and more and more bitter gall to her. And one of the most amazing things that happened is there was some of the women realized, 
Maybe we need to sit with her on the ash heap instead of have another baby shower. Now, here's the great end of that story, just so you think I'm totally macabre. Um, she now has five kids. They adopted two, and then the Lord just kept giving them some more. And so now they're like, wait, I think we prayed too hard. We should have moderated a little bit and calmed down. Uh, but, but eventually it came. Eventually she had the baby shower, and what great joy. But what an, what an incredible thing that a community of people would say, I don't think we need another baby shower. We need to sit on the ash heap. Um, and and what, that just was incredible. And you may say, well, why didn't she suck it up and go rejoice? Because she was wise enough to admit she was weak and couldn't. And that's okay. Um, we need to have a place. We need to be a place where our weakness is not suppressed and turned into some sort of deep neurosis and brokenness um, that, it, cannot, that it, it makes it so hard to heal. Um, and so, um, but being constant in prayer, it's been such a theme for our church. I don't know that I need to say a whole lot about that other than to say, just so you don't feel like you're failing at this, um, being constant in prayer doesn't mean you don't work or brush your teeth or eat uh, because you're praying all the time. What it does mean is that you recognize that, that, that the, the cost of living, that living in a fallen world requires some help. And that help has been purchased for you in Christ. Amen? And that you have a God that is always listening to his people. Always. Right? Come boldly before the throne of grace to receive all that you need in the time of trouble. What a great God we have that that, that is offered to us. Um, and, then, and then Paul goes on to close out this particular second section. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So contributing to the needs of the saints, we do this in a number of ways. For those of you who are new with us, we do a thing called faith promise. Now, faith promise is an entirely separate budget than our general fund. Um, and, um, and, and the reason we do that is so that every dollar that goes into faith promise can only, for as long as uh, that dollar exists, be used for missions. And so if you're new with us and you didn't make a pledge, so you're thinking, I didn't make a pledge back in March. I don't know if I can give to the, all you got to do is write faith promise in the line. And, and we, can, we can definitely use the money to support our missionaries. So we have four overseas missionaries that we support, two church plants, um, and, uh, and a host of campus ministers at KSU and Dalton State. And so um, we want to contribute to the needs of saints. We also have a, a mercy fund. Sometimes we need help, and, and, and we don't want to see anybody sink. Sometimes jobs get lost, and they get hard to find. Sometimes, sometimes divorce rends a family. So, sometimes things happen such that there are financial needs, and we want to contribute to the needs of the saints. I, I also don't want you to hear that only as a financial. You contributed to the needs of the saints when you prayed for us as we went on the elder retreat as we were trying to, to make decisions about the next year of this church, as we looked through a glass darkly. And the Spirit, I think, was at work among us, and, and, um, and we all came back friends, and, uh, and so the church will hold together one more year, it looks like. And so um, what a gift that you were praying for us. So contributing to the needs of the saints is not just... And, and I want to commend a, a group of women um, in our church. It's a, it's a group that meets on Thursday nights, um, there was someone who desperately needed some sleep. Any of you don't care anything about sleep? 
Um, I hadn't had a whole lot in the last few days, and, and my body is feeling it. Uh, and I'm not asking y'all to invite me over so I can sleep at y'all's house. I'd, I've just got dogs at my house right now. As soon as they're gone, I'm going to sleep like a baby. But um, this, this lady needed some sleep. And because she had a young infant that, that just doesn't seem to, he, he, apparently you can't negotiate with terrorists sometimes. And so he, he wasn't playing along. And they said, just come sleep at our house for a night. What a gift. They would see a need like that. And you may think, well, God, that ain't that big. No, it is a big deal because when's the last time you just invited a stranger to come sleep at your house? And it was a gift to her, and uh, she's still alive, and that's a good thing. And so those are the kind of things. To, so don't, when you read something like contribute to the needs of the saints, it's not just financial, it's spiritual too. And there's a number of you that we have been praying for things for that you're going through. And uh, I've heard back from you that it is just, it's, it's helped you significantly. And so let us do that. Now, the seek to show hospitality. What do you guys hear when you hear the term hospitality? What immediately comes to your mind? Because that's an important, that is incredibly important because that's probably the thing you're going to have to deconstruct. Because the word hospitality means more than Martha Stewart, Pinterest, um, chalkboard things, uh, origami, or whatever. I don't know what we do these days, but uh, it, perfection. I think a lot of you, when you hear the term hospitality, you immediately think, if it can't be perfect, if it can't, if it can't get 30 plus likes on Instagram, I'm not doing it. Right? Uh, and so... So hospitality is really much broader than just inviting someone to your home. Bob Burrish, who's a KSU professor, he and I have talked about this at length. Hospitality is him having open office hours for his students where they can come and get what they need from him and he's available and present. Hospitality is if you're a manager of a business, you're accessible. That's a hospitable thing to do. It's not, I want you to hear me. It's not just about your home. In this case... It's about the house of the Lord, right? I love from Psalm 22, is, it says, we, we so want the house of the Lord. I mean, we, we want for your glory to be that. And it's interesting that the that church, they use the term house in reference to church. Now, yes, we're tabernacling. This is not our permanent home. I know this. you're hoping this curtain makes it into the new building because you just think it's so worshipful, felt, um, with glitter, uh, but no, it's not going to make it. So uh, I understand that this is always not conducive for you feeling like it's a home, but it's our home for now, and praise God that we have it, right? Now, um, one of the things I was going to do provocatively is I was going to, for the introduction, bring a chair up on stage, have my phone with me. You you guys have smartphones. Is that a thing still? Okay. All right, and I was going to sit in the chair, and I was going to look at the phone because... I think for a lot of us, we think that's hospitality here at the church. That the first thing that a visitor sees when they walk in is a group of people sitting, not talking to one another, looking on their phones, maybe texting one, I don't know what's going on there, uh, just looking at their phones, totally uninterested in who's coming in. I want to give you a, 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 an image other than that. So I, did, I chose not to do that because I'd rather you remember this. Um, if uh, you came downstairs let's say Paige Sliman's house where there's a 70 inch screen TV, it's amazing, we're gonna watch football, I'm so excited. Uh, life is gonna come back into me at some point. I think that's what this illness is, is this, the sports hole that we're in. But uh, if Paige, I can guarantee if Paige came downstairs and there were three people sitting there drinking his beverages, eating his chips, and he had no idea who they were, I can guarantee you he's gonna find out their names. 
right? I can guarantee you if you get up in the morning and there's some people sitting in your living room and you've never met them before, you're going to be like, hey, I'm, I'm Cameron. How are y'all? What, what, what are you doing here? Uh, which is not good hospitality, by the way. But for some reason, you don't seem inclined in this house, which is your house too, by the way, to make sure you know or get to know or make sure whoever has a need um, that that's being taken care of. Some of you are doing great. Um, but I see, because this is one of the reasons I work the front door. Not because I'm like scanning for heresy and trying to shut that down before it even gets in the house. Uh, but because I want to, I get to greet the kids. One of my favorite things. Thomas Howe, if you guys ever fire me, he's going to throw a fit. I'm just telling you, uh, he, he will not have it. Uh, but Thomas Howe is one of my favorite people on the planet because when I say, Thomas, he just thinks I'm cool. It ain't going to last, so I understand that. But, but I just love seeing him, uh, and, and he's not the only one. And so what a gift that we get, we get to greet people in our house. This is your house, too. And you may say, well, I'm not convinced it's my house yet because I'm, I'm not sure about you. Well, be sure about God and who you are in Christ better than that. And know that this is his house regardless of what I'm doing. Right? And make sure that you, you and some of you are, because 80% of the introverts in the room are groaning in spirit right now. You guys are like, oh, I thought we were going to go to two services, one where you don't talk to anybody and one where you do. Uh, and so it's okay. I'm not asking you to greet everybody. All I'm asking you to do is greet somebody because this is your house. All of you are missing a wonderful opportunity every single week. And I shouldn't say all, most, many. You go to lunch, don't you? Somewhere, most of the time. Uh, and for the strict Sabbatarians, you just groaned in your spirit. Uh, you could invite them to your house too, by the way. Um, but you, you uh, don't go with anybody oftentimes. You don't take anybody with you. You don't invite anybody. And you're like, yeah, but it could be awkward. Welcome to planet Earth. It's awkward. Everywhere, it's just awkward, and you get through it, right? Some of the best relationships I have with people started out so awkward. I'm the common denominator. I get it, but that's fine. Uh, but but I do. I have some, the best relationships I had all started out kind of interesting, and so I don't want you to rob yourself because you're so afraid of being uncomfortable. I, I just don't know what what else are we going to do. So. He calls for us to seek, seek, that's a command, to show hospitality. And all of us have a way in which we can contribute. Maybe you're not a great, co again, it doesn't have to be about your house. It's about this house, and it's about other instances, so be creative. If you have questions about that, let's talk about it. Let's hash through that. Those of you in small groups will have a chance to talk about it a bit. But that section really is in relation to how we should love and be hospitable to each other inside the church. Because when people visit here and they don't get greeted and they don't see us talking to each other, guess what they don't do? Come back. Unless the Holy Spirit makes them like the Shellings. And again, they're Dutch. And so, uh, so Joe's visit here the first time was hysterical. I wasn't here. He said he came in and it was, it, it, it just felt like a neurosis convention. And, uh, and he was like, we're not coming back. But the Spirit was like, yeah, you probably should go back. And they did. That didn't always happen, by the way. We don't always get uh, a second chance. Um, but uh, 
know that if you're not, if we're not being hospitable with this, um, we are actually failing to evidence Christianity. Paul is saying, you got to seek to show hospitality to one another. you got to get to know one another to do all this stuff. Listen to what Charles Hodge says about this portion of text. He says, the relation in which Christians stand to each other is that of members of the same family. As, however, it is not a relation constituted by birth nor secured by the adoption of a name, there is no evidence of its existence but that which consists in the exercise of the brotherly affection. Did you hear what he said? Because you are not brothers and sisters and you don't have to show up at Thanksgiving with each other, um, if you do not show brotherly affection, there is no evidence that you are family. None. Zero. So, what are some barriers to you being generous in love and hospitality to those in the church? What are they? You should think these things through. What are the barriers? Is it you? Is it something in you? Is it, is it something that we could help you with? Is it something that we could disciple? Is it something we could speak into? What are the barriers? And then, what helps you most to be generous in love and hospitality to those in the church? The barriers and what helps? I want you to think about that. And let's talk. If you've got, got some questions, if there's something we can do to help you to make the turn on this, we would love to do that. All right, last portion of text, and we're going to do this part fairly quickly. I was actually more concerned about that top part, uh, to be honest with you. But I do want to touch on this because it's also important that we show love and hospitality in the world. Listen to what the text says, 14 through 21. Bless those who persecute you. I could stop right there. We could be wrecked right there. Um, you're like, that, that's a super Christian verse. Are there super Christian verses? Are, there, are they like highlighted different or is it a different language? No, this is for everyone. This is actually being said to a group of people who are in opposition with each other, who've splintered inside the church and will be assailed from outside the church. And did Jesus do this? You're a Christian. You persecuted him some way, shape, or form. You kicked against the goads. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. When? Never. How many times do we say to wisdom, and this begins early now, doesn't it? To wisdom, yeah, but... That's a great phrase for you to, 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 it should set your mind on fire. When you're, yeah, but. That should make you, I don't care if you stick with the conclusion, at least make yourself pause and really own it. Own it all the way down, right? So you should never be wise in your own eyes. And he goes on to say, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Let me pause for just a second. He's quoting Deuteronomy there. What do we know about the wrath of God from Hosea? It's redemptive. When has your wrath ever been redemptive? That's why we should leave it to him. You got it? And then he goes on to say, um, to, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. 
For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome evil by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's a quote from Proverbs 25, the heaping of the coals. What's interesting about heaping coals on someone is, what was it exactly that Isaiah took and touched to his lips? It was a burning coal. And what did it do for him? It killed him, right? That's why we don't have the book of Isaiah. Wait, no, wait. It purified his lips. The best thing to do with an enemy is bring him to Jesus and have him become a brother or, or, or sister. Keep burning coals to purify them and change them. You too, right? So this isn't a verse that you should quote when it comes to any of the things going on in our world in, in the way that so many have misquoted it. It's actually a verse about making enemies friends, which Jesus does, by the way. But I want to go back to one thing where it says, weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Um, there are certain things that are just common to all of us, right? Every one of your neighbors, um, when they have a birthday, we're celebrating. Especially if they've got no one to celebrate with. I've got to brag on Josh and Aileen for a second. Uh, they have done an amazing job getting to know the neighbors and their kids too, by the way. All of them. All the Cuthbertsons are just outstanding saints at this point. But they have, they have gotten to know the neighbors in their cul-de-sac. They get invited to the craziest birthday parties where there's no English spoken. God bless them. And they're, they're reaching out to folks who are, uh, there's a family that's Muslim. There are, uh, there's all kind of stuff going on over there. And you may be thinking, do they live somewhere safe? They do, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, so they're doing a great job of doing this. And, and, and when someone dies, is, does your neighbor not weep? When they get divorced, does your neighbor not hurt? When, when they get a diagnosis, does it not shake their foundation? So part of loving your neighbor is being able to just step into that space and you may say, but yeah, but we don't have anything in common. Yeah, you do. It's called humanity which you have in common with all people, by the way. And so what Paul is saying to us is step into their space. Love them in the way that Christ has loved you, who was once an enemy and a stranger of God, whom he now calls friend. I don't think that term is casual, by the way. And what a gift that we would be called the friends of the Son of God. And what a gift that we would be called sons and daughters of Abba. And so, um, as F.F. Bruce speaks of this passage, mutual love, sympathy, and honor within the brotherhood of believers are to be expected. That's just, it ought to be expected. It doesn't always happen, but it ought to be expected. But something more is enjoined here. Love and forgiveness to those outside the fellowship and not least to those who persecute them and wish them ill. What kind of church would we look like if we were really thoughtful and discerning and didn't jump the shark on every political thing or every social issue or have comments on things we literally know so little to nothing about? And yet what we did do is do the stuff that we've been taught in the spirit and the thing that Christ died for us to be able to do. What would that look like? And I hope you'll dream with me about what that would look like. And I hope that you will begin to cultivate what that would look like. And I hope that you'll join us in trying to um, become more loving and hospitable with each other and more loving and hospitable with those outside the church. And I have a suspicion that what it will do is something to us. It will sanctify us and cause us to take joy in a way 
that nothing else can or will. So what are some barriers to you being generous in love and hospitality to those outside the church? Maybe it's opinions, right? Maybe it's, maybe it's a bad opinion. I had a great experience. I was in Macon um, prior to uh, going to Juliet for the, for the elder retreat, and I was hanging out with some friends. And uh, ran into a guy that hadn't spoken to me in years. And I know it's hard for you to believe that there would be a conversation that would cause someone to not talk to me for a few years, but it happened. And he and I were close. Um, and, uh, and it really was a, was a theological issue. He's, very, he, he's way, 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 way to the charismatic end of the spectrum. Um, and, and I'm not necessarily way to that end of the spectrum. And so um, he had invited me to an event where they said, hey, if you prepare to preach, you're, you're, you're not, that's not trusting the Holy Spirit. No, actually, that's a recipe for disaster, actually, to just get up and go, all right, uh, here we go. I've seen it happen. A guy at the rescue mission said God had called him to preach the Bible, started in Genesis 1, got to the section where it said, let us create them in our image. He had never heard of the Trinity before. And somebody, he was like, well, I guess this, uh, this plural, so I guess there's peop- they're pre-Adamites. Now, I don't know if you know who holds the pre-Adamite doctrine, but every single one of those groups are racist. He was talking to a room full of 70% African-American people. You think that was helpful? That's just bad. That shouldn't happen. And he thought he was doing it in the spirit. Anyway, my friend, I, I, I said to him, I said, man, that's, that's, that's crazy. I, I, I can't abide with that, and I love you, but that doesn't even fit with Scripture. I mean, that doesn't fit at all. We are worthy of double judgment. We've got to try to, and some of you are thinking, yeah, man, you might want to <laughs> do a little more of that. Uh, but... And so I hadn't seen him in a long time and, and run into him in a coffee shop. And it was funny because he was sitting where we could see him and he didn't know we were there. And when he came up, I was like, man, you're, you're starting to lose it. He said, what are you talking about? I said, your charismatic antenna didn't sense there was danger nearby. And, uh, and, he, and it was kind of softened the moment. And we talked and, you know, it was a, it was a great gift um, to be restored to a friend I'd been through some stuff with. Now, we're not going to be friends like we used to be because of distance and time and all those things, but I just realized that, that I still love Jason. And uh, I, I, wish, I wish it hadn't gone the way it had gone. And, and you know, and so I, I want to I love him. I, wanna, uh, I want to see things restored. So I hope that that will be some of your heart in recognizing that you don't always know what people are going through and what happens. You don't. And there's always more to the story. Every time I get all riled up and I rattle my saber and I just think I know and I'm right about something and those people are wrong and I get more of the information, I have to repent and it's embarrassing. And so there's always, there's always reasons why people do what they do. Um, they're not always good. And uh, so I think that's, that's important for us to, as a church, um, to be a people of grace, not cheap grace, costly grace. And be a people where broken people can come. And a people where, in a, in a place where healed people go out to broken people. And invite them back in and they feel safe here. And they get healing here. And you too, by the way. So what should we learn from this? It's pretty simple. It teaches us that we're to be generous in love and hospitality to those inside the church and those outside the church, particularly those who persecute us. What a, you want to you show the gospel? Do that. That'll make it shine. So I pray that you would join in praying with us um, that we would be a church that displays those things, that we would show the marks of a Christian. Let's pray. Father, <coughs> 
Thank you that you love us so well. Thank you that you give us so much in terms of resources. Thank you that you've made it so clear, and yet we are so blind and deaf and worse, hard-hearted. Would you break our hearts? Break mine first. Help me to shepherd out of a broken heart and healed vision and healed ears. Help us as a church to be a people who display your glory and the things that you said would most display that glory and that would be the love we would have for one another as displayed in our hospitality. Help us take ownership of this house, your house, for your glory and your good. May it be spoken of us. Those people aren't perfect, but I can tell you one thing. They're hospitable and they love each other. That's clear. May this be a a sanctuary for broken people. May this be a sanctuary for healed people. May it be uh, an outpost from which people are sent. In Christ's name, amen.